Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. excited to be in church today. Uh, man, I know I am. I am so excited to be with you guys, excited to have you with us. If you're online and you're wondering, why are there people in the room? These are uh, part of our serve teams here at ACF, and I get to talk to human beings. Praise the Lord uh, today. So excited uh, for that. And so just so you know, in case you're wondering like what's coming up, uh, when do we open? We said this last week, the church can't reopen because we've never closed our doors. Amen. We have been an active, alive church throughout this journey, but we do have a homecoming that is coming soon. So this is actually happening next week. Next week is our ACF homecoming, and we're celebrating that. It's going to be family-style services, and so you're going to be in here with your kids, and I just want you to know if your parents, uh, you can show up, bring an iPad and uh, some headphones, and they can hang out, and uh, they can be part of the church, and, and we're actually going to help you to, to get onto our ACF Kids account so that you can uh, watch the, the videos on YouTube, and, and, and they can actually engage with church, but be here in uh, this room. We'll also have some little busy bags for them. And so I just want to say this, parents, we love you. You can do this. We're behind you. It's going to be awesome. So don't give in to fear. There's going to be lots of grace in the room. We understand if you have a little one and they come running up on stage, um, we're going to love them and we're going to love you. And so don't fear about that at all. There are some new service times coming. Uh, our new ser- service times are going to be Wednesday at 7 p.m. and then Sunday at 9 and 11 AM. And so just kind of keep up with that and uh, make sure if you're not already signed up for our what's happening email or our text Devo, make sure you get signed up for both of those. And we're going to be sending updates all the time. And we know, we know this things might change, right? Uh, we're taking this one day at a, as a time uh, as a church, just like you are as uh, people and individuals, you're taking it one day at a time. And so we know that, you know, we could open up and they could close, but we want as many times as we can to gather together as God's church because we need each other. We need to to encounter each other and we need to see each other and be reminded that we are not alone in this. And I need this tonight as much as you need this. And so I'm grateful for the church today. And so there will be overflow space outside. We're going to make sure that people can come in and still get their six foot distancing in this room. They'll be cleaning. They'll be doing all of the things, all of the CDC things to make sure that we're uh, compliant 
orient in that way, but we're going to worship. We're going to be God's family, and I want you to bring friends and invite people. Maybe uh, there's been a bit of an awakening to the existence of God in somebody's life that you know. Now is the perfect time to send them a text and say, hey, would you come to church with me? I've got a seat for you. Um, I think that this, this time and place is, is for you, and this church, just so you know, exists for you, because that's who we are. We exist for the churched, the unchurched, and the dechurched. And so if that's you, we want to see you next week and invite you to be here as well. Well, we are in a series right now called Flipped Upside Down, and it's a conversation about God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is different than our kingdom. It's a flipped upside down kingdom, and we believe that it is the kingdom that one day will rule over all of the earth, and that when Jesus came to the earth, he actually had a favorite sermon, and his favorite sermon was, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So something about this flipped upside down kingdom for the world around us is actually really good news. Um, We live in a world that needs good news right now. And and the more that we uh, exhibit God's kingdom and share God's kingdom, the more good news that they experience. And so this is a flipped upside down, different kingdom. We're in week three of this conversation. And if you're just catching us online, uh, I encourage you to just go back and watch those messages. Um, I really feel, I'm just going to say this, like this this sermon series and this sermon that Jesus preached, it's like it was made for right now. It, it, these are the Beatitudes, the blessings of Jesus. What does it mean to be blessed in a world like ours? What does it mean to be blessed right now during COVID-19 in 2020? What does this actually look like? And it is so different than the way the world might say blessing looks. And so I want to encourage you, would you just stand up real quick? I want to read God's word. If you're uh, watching at home, you can stand up in place. We're going to just stand in honor of the scriptures here today. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I want to read this uh, in the message translation. Verse 5 says this, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Let me pray for us as we continue. Jesus, we want these words to be our words. God, we need you to implant them in our hearts um, God, we stand before you desperately in need of your grace in our lives and your transform, transformation on our hearts, God. And so we know that we can't do that. We need your spirit to, to fill us, to fill this place and, and to speak to us and to speak words to us that no one else can. So inspire us today to be more like Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I've entitled today, When Your Confidence is in God. That's when you're blessed, is when your confidence is in God, you are blessed. And this is a different type of of blessing. It's a different type of way of seeing the world because this, uh, this, to put your confidence in God means that your confidence is not in yourself. And we live in a world that says, hey, just believe in yourself. And I've done that a lot and been really let down. Anybody been there? I believed in myself. I failed, right? Now what? What happens when we believe in ourselves and then we fail ourselves? What is there left to believe in. I'll say it this way, in a world where aggression and assertiveness seem to win, Jesus says humility wins in God's kingdom. Think about that. In a world where aggression and assertiveness seem to win, Jesus says humility is what will help you to be blessed 
Humility is the way of God's flipped upside down kingdom. And he said those are the people who are going to inherit his kingdom. And and I wonder for you, uh, when you think of who's inheriting the earth today, Who's inheriting the best and the blessings of the earth today? Would you say that those people are, are humble in general? Would you think of like, oh yeah, uh, when you're humble, that's how you get uh, the most in this life. You know, when you think of those who are most powerful or most wealthy or most famous, would you say, oh yeah, those are the most humble people in the world, right? Most of us would say, no, typically in our world, uh, aggression and assertiveness and pushing your agenda forward is what gets you ahead, And in Jesus' flipped upside down kingdom, he says, no, blessed are the humble. Blessed are are the meek, those who come just with nothing before God and before each other. Now, when we think of meekness, it's kind of a weird word. We don't really use this word a lot. What does it mean to be meek, right? Uh, It it just rhymes with weak, and so we tend to think meek means weak, right? (laughs) Which is, uh, it's just terrible. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what we tend to do. Meek must Mean week. In fact, uh, we are talking as a uh, sermon team this week. We get together and talk about the messages that we're going to teach. And uh, Angela Randall, who's part of our sermon team, she said, Hey, if you think meek is weak, try buying, being meek for a week, which is hard to say, but it's true, right? <laughs> if you think meek is weak, try being meek for a week, and you'll realize that it's a lot harder than you actually think. And so here's what meekness actually is meekness is God confidence. That's what it is. It's not confidence in ourselves. It's actually confidence in God. The Hebrew word word translated meek actually means to be low or to be humble, to be gentle in the sight of God. And we know one man who is called the most humble or the most meek. His name is Moses, right? And Moses had an encounter with God. And through encountering God, what he got was humility, I mean, he had a real face-to-face experience, really, with, he saw God, and so through that, he gained humility. You see, when we're meek, what we do is we accept the world as it is and people as they are, because we have God confidence. We begin to understand them and give people space to grow and understand that everybody's on a journey just like we are. And we're able to slow down a little bit and slow down the pace because we know that God is actually at work. Do you know that in the person that you know that is so far from God, you think they would never come back, God's at work in their life. I mean, do you know that God is at work through the conversations that are happening culturally right now, the things that you can't get traction on, God is at work in those things. And when you have God confidence, you can slow down and trust him. This idea of meekness is the opposite of idealism. I'm just thinking, man, if I can just push my agenda hard enough and be aggressive enough, I can get things to change. No, this is a different way of seeing the world. Now, when you think of that, accepting the world as it is, accepting people as they are, slowing down the pace, here's the question that comes to mind for me. Is there a way to accept the world as it is and yet seek to change it? Can we be meek and have God confidence, right? and yet still seek to change things. Because can we agree there are some things that need to change? Can we agree that um, if, if God's kingdom is a flipped upside down kingdom, it's flipped upside down because the, the way the world is, is different than God's kingdom. There's things that we know are just backwards and broken and not as God intended them to be. And so is there a way to accept the world and go like, I know that I can't control this environment But I have confidence in God. I accept the world as it is. And yet, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to see it change. I actually want God to use me as a change agent in the world that people might see the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
That's the goal. That's our mission as God's people. That as people encounter us, they, they're, they're like, I just kind of felt a little bit of heaven, right? And some of you are like, that's not the case typically, right? Like uh, Monday morning, 8 a.m. at the office, haven't had my coffee yet. I don't know that my coworkers go, just felt some heaven, you know? <laughs> just ran into Brian in the hallway. Man, felt like heaven. Probably not. Give me till like noon, a couple cups of coffee, and you might experience a little a little bit of that, but it's the opposite of this idealism, like it's all got to change right now. It's this accepting of the world as it is, but desiring to change it, right? I mean, you could say that the truly meek are willing to protect the weak, to seek out justice in a world of injustice. James 3.13 says this, who is wise in understanding among you? Which is just a really good question. Anybody wise? He said, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So uh, if you think that you're wise and you think that you're somebody who has understanding, that, then you're going to show your works through meekness. You're going to show that you understand who God is and understand this flipped upside down kingdom through meekness humility. And Jesus, we could say and agree that Jesus was probably the most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth, right? And we could agree in that, right? But we could also say that Jesus stood up for what was just, right? I mean, you never saw Jesus more ticked off than when the poor people were being marginalized and cheated. I mean, that really made him angry, right? And there are times that God's church should get a little angry. There are things and atrocities in this world that, honestly, if we have the heart of God, and we sing songs like this, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, right? The same prayer could be, God, make my heart angry in a God-honoring way, a godly anger for for what makes you angry. Do you know the same loving and gracious God that there's things that happen in this world that, that anger him? Do we know that? God has an anger towards things that are unjust, that don't look like his kingdom. All the things that are flipped upside down outside of my life and all of the things that are flipped upside down in my life and in my heart. There's an anger that God has toward those things because those are the things that are hurting us, right? It's not like our anger, right? God's not like a rageaholic up in heaven stomping around like, I'm just going to shoot lightning at you because I hate you. No, out of his deep love for the world, In compassion for the world, he looks at what is broken and he has anger in his heart because he knows that it's not the way of his kingdom. And I just imagine as much as you yearn for that day that this world gets flipped back to what it's intended to be, God is yearning for that day too. And he's calling his people to be change agents, those who show the kingdom of God, the flipped upside down kingdom of God to the world. I was thinking about a few different situations right now that demand weakness. There's a few, right? Uh, first, COVID-19 uh, demands some meekness, does it not? There are a lot of opinions floating around. Can we just say that, right? I, I, and I know people on all sides of the spectrum, people who are like, there literally is no virus. It doesn't exist to people who think it is trying to kill them around every corner, right? Every surface that they touch, they're just like, I think I'm going to die, right? I think, it's, I think it's coming to get me at night. It's, it's trying to kill me. And, so, and, and everywhere in between, right? It's the media. It's actually a virus. We don't know. And so in all of this conversation, and there is truth in there somewhere, in all of this, it takes some humility and some meekness to have those conversations, doesn't it? Has anybody been frustrated over the past three months? Anybody? You ever been frustrated with somebody else over the past three months? Okay, okay, everybody in the room, awesome. Everybody online, 
Probably you've been frustrated with some people over the past few months. I'm sure we have because um, these conversations can get heated, can't they? They really can. Right now, uh, racial injustice demands meekness. Can we agree? That we we need to have this conversation, but it's going to take a lot of humility. And as a pastor, watching the conversations that are happening and, and trying to figure out when do we speak and how do we speak is an important thing, you know? Uh, do you know the person who doesn't think before they post? Are you the person that doesn't think before they post? <laughs> I don't know anybody like that. It's because it's you. You're that person that does not think before they put things on the internet, right? And so it can cause division. We need to think about those things. And so uh, when I'll put out a, a video on our social media or talk about it or type something, I've spent a lot of time thinking, should I say this? Should I not? I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Am I helping the situation? And more than, more than anything, the prayer should be, God, give me a radar for humility in my heart. And if you don't sense there, that there's humility in your heart when you're about to speak, then probably don't speak. And maybe it's something that you shouldn't even say. But even in this, right, once again, is there a way to be meek and yet seek to change things? And I believe 100% yes. I mean, especially this issue. I mean, racial injustice is a gospel issue, church. I mean, this is a deep-seated issue that we as the church need to speak on in, in so many different ways. I mean, really, at its core, racial injustice is the antithesis of the gospel. Do you know that we live in God's family, and then in God's family, it is every tribe and tongue and nation? And do you know that the Great Commission, right, Matthew 28, Where it says, hey, that we should go and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to all nations. Do you know that when it says nations, it actually means ethnicities? He's not talking about a map there, friends. He's talking about people of all racial backgrounds, that the gospel is for everyone. That's the Jesus I believe in. And so as God's church, we're to stand up for those things. If if our vision is that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven, then we believe that God's church and the gospel is for all people and that we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And do you know that your, your faith, even your faith in, in Jesus, um, it doesn't simply go back to, to Western America, right? It goes back to the Middle East, right? Our heritage as Christians is of other ethnicities, right? And so we have to know we're part of this much bigger, beautiful, multicolored family, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's God's family. And so we want to stand up for that and, and, and be, be in the right ways at the right time, speaking towards those issues that are happening in our world, but do it, listen, do it through humility. Slow down. If you have an agenda, it's time to stop speaking, because once again, as I said last week, our agenda is God's kingdom. And we want to move that forward through love for everyone that we speak to. Economic turmoil, this demands some humility, right? People are losing jobs, people are struggling, and then other people are like, I'm doing great, right? And so what do you do? How do you have those conversations with your friends that are really struggling right now? Here's a really divisive one. Does LaCroix actually taste like anything? (laughs) Seen some, some boys want to fist fight over that conversation. It's terrible. Anybody think it's terrible? Am I the only one? It's horrific. Don't, anyway, if you got stock in LaCroix, I'm sorry, but it's, it's bad. So there is a way to confront what is wrong and yet acknowledge that we don't know everything, 
And that's what I'm asking us to do. That is really what happens in humility as we acknowledge in God confidence that God overall, he's, he's over all of these things, all the things that are broken in the world. But we want to confront what is wrong in the world and bring you know, God's kingdom into these broken situations and admit also that we don't know everything, right? So there's two traps that I see whenever we're confronting um, injustice in the world. The first is pride. You ever been proud before? You ever just known it, but you can't, it's like you almost can't stop it. You ever felt just overcome with pride and you're like, I want to stop typing, but I can't, right? It's like I can't stop hitting uh, submit on this, this, uh, this post. I can't stop sending the emails or I can't stop speaking in this moment. I'm filled with pride, right? In Luke 18, Jesus tells this little story to a crowd of people um, who all thought that they were the righteous ones, who they were the ones that got it right, that figured everything out. And he says, it's kind of like a joke. Basically, he says, two guys walk into a temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you think there's like a punchline coming, <laughs> but it's actually, he's just like digging, you know, the knife in a little bit. He's like, two guys walk into a temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the constant example, really, that Jesus used of, of who not to be like. Don't be like the Pharisees, right? These were religious leaders that were so full of themselves and so proud that they couldn't actually see beyond their own noses. They couldn't see beyond their own situations and their own opinions, and they actually missed God right in front of them, which we can do today. We can be so religious that we literally miss the face of God right in front of us. And then there's the tax collector who, in the culture, they would have thought, well, that's who he's saying don't be like because the tax collector, these people were crooked. They were thieves. They were stealing from people. So it says that they both go to pray, both the tax collector and the Pharisee. But when they pray, they pray very, very differently. It says this, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a powerful reality right now, isn't it? I mean, I mean, it's always a powerful reality, but right now in our cultural moment, this is such a big deal. So you've got this, this Pharisee who lives to the letter of the law, right? He's got some self-control, but pride turns self-control into self-righteousness, which this man falls into. Pride is what builds this internal raking system for sin. We've all done that before. Theirs is just a little worse than mine, right? You've watched the news before and been like, I would never be like that filthy sinner, right? I'm glad I'm not like that person acting that way. Thank the Lord that I'm not a dirty sinner like them, right? This is the Pharisee's prayer. Pride is the kind of thing that makes us assume that this whole sermon is for someone else. Pride is what's making you go, I want to share this with my sister right now, <laughs> right? She has got to watch this sermon. No, you got to watch this sermon, right? This is for you. It's for me as much as anybody, you know? And here's, I'll say this. We can become proud even about the good things, can't we? Even about the things that you are right in. 
And that you're fighting for the righteous cause, the thing that God uh, weeps over, the thing that God's angry over. We can even be proud in those things. And so listen, listen to this. So when you begin to fight for something good, here's what happens. The enemy feeds you a pill of self-righteousness so that you end up fighting for the wrong, right things for the wrong reasons. Through your, he gives you self-righteousness. So you're fighting for the right things for the wrong reasons. And so you end up losing the opportunity to be God's agent of grace to the world. You can't actually do it the way he is calling you to do it. And so let's do this together. Here's an exercise. We're going to exercise our meekness muscle right now. Okay. So you have a meekness muscle. Everybody does. Um, you might be like, I have not used that muscle in years. Um, I don't know where it is. I'm not sure how to find it. I'm going to help you find it right now. Okay. So let's, I want you to, can we get the first one on the screen? We're going to say this together. Can we do this? Okay. Here we go. I may be wrong about it, even though I feel strongly about it. How do you feel? It's true. I don't know what it is, but you may not know everything that you need to know about it. There may be aspects of whatever it is that you're fighting for or against that you don't completely understand yet. Let's try another one. That was fun. I would like to fully understand why you disagree with me. Did somebody just throw up in there? I just... You guys online, man, people are puking in the room. It's terrible. <laughs> I want to fully understand why you, not I want to fully, but like, I want to fully understand you. Like, can you help me understand why you disagree with me? Because I want to learn. I want to, I want to be in a posture of learning through the things that I fight for and against. This one's easy. How about this? Can we put it up there? My bad. <laughs> Can we say that one? My bad. That one's good. Let's try another one. Let me be the first to apologize. How you doing? This is good. This one's a little different, but also important when it comes to pride. How about this? I'd rather not talk about people who aren't in the room. There's a simple way of kind of stopping the, the gossip, Right? When people are discussing other people in a way that's undermining them as, as humans and devaluing them as God's image bearers, you just go, I'd just rather not talk about people who aren't here right now. Listen, this is who's blessed. And in all of this, you might lose some friends, but gain God's kingdom. Is it worth it? We say yes. Yes. But it's hard, right? I mean, in the wrong situation or the right situation where this is challenging, we say it's worth it, but it's harder than it seems to say any of those statements in the heat of the moment when you are sure that everyone's against you or sure that you're right and everybody's wrong. And what do you do? And how do you, how do you operate, operate like Jesus did? Is there a way to live in humility yet Fight up against the things that are unhealthy in this world. And the answer is absolutely. Yes, there is. Because the other trap, we'll look at the other side. So, so pride is one side. The other side is this passivity. Passivity is a trap. When people try to understand meekness or humility is that, okay, so what that means is I just put my feet up and let the world destroy itself, right? 
Because that's what God's kingdom must look like, and that's not at all what it looks like. James also speaks to this in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and yet fails to do it, for him it is sin. This word sin is a loaded word, isn't it? It simply means to miss the mark, to not do what God calls you to do. And so sometimes we, we try to find our way out of sin by simply opening the Bible and go, it doesn't say that Brian on June 25th of 2020 should stand up and say this. It doesn't say that Brian on June whatever of 2020 should say that or do this. So I'm off the hook. But what it says is whoever knows the right thing, and have you ever just known the right thing and not done it? I mean, you can feel it in your guts. That's the Spirit of God just speaking to you and and it's conviction and you're fighting it and you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to risk it. I'm not so sure it's worth it, even though I told Pastor Brian during church that it was worth it. I'm not so sure that it's worth it. I know the right thing to do and yet I, I fail to do it. That's sin. That is sin as much as anything else. That's missing God's mark for you. That's ignoring what God says is best for you and for the world. And that's something that we as God's people have to come to him and confess. Like, God, I've known the right thing to do and not done it. I'm sorry. Please give me your grace. Give me your vision. And God, inspire me. Give me the motivation I don't even have yet to do what you call me to do. That's an honest prayer. That's my prayer many times. Meekness is being so close to the heart of God that we earn the opportunity to be the hands of God. It's this idea that like we're, we're so humble and so uh, just, just lowered ourselves. As we said, that's one of the definitions of meekness, to lower ourselves. We've, we've done it in such a way that we can actually see clearly now. We've gotten below all of the hype that's going on around us and we've just kind of gotten on our knees. And for whatever reason, things get a lot clearer in our life from our knees. As we've humbled ourselves, we get to to see what God is doing around us and we're so close to God's heart that we can then stand up for God, what God wants us to stand up for. See, passivity is often blown off by calling it meek. You're not being meek, you're being passive. And it's actually at some point, it's it's literally sin. I mean, to to pass up this, this opportunity to do what God is calling you to do in the moment. I'd say that it's not aggression that's the problem. We'd say, don't be aggressive, but aggression is not the problem. It's the expression of your aggression that's the problem. Jesus was aggressive. God is certainly aggressive, right? Doesn't stand at a distance, sees the world destroying itself, says, I'm going to go to the world. I'm going to become a man, and God is with us in the form of Jesus. Dies on a cross. Like, that's an aggressive God, right? So God's an aggressive God, so aggression's not the problem. The expression of our aggression is the problem. So I'm not sure what you're dealing with in life, but meek parents aren't disengaged parents. They learn to listen to their kids. So if you're going to be meek or humble as a parent, it's not just to be like, well, then fine, I'm going to sit back and let them destroy the house, right? It's, it's to listen and to try to understand and then to lean in as you, as you need to. Meek husbands aren't pushovers, It's not just put your feet up on the couch when you get home from work. No, they are strategic about what to make a big deal out of, right? Which we men all need to learn how to do better. Amen. Amen. And women. And women. Teenagers, meek teenagers aren't lazy. 
They're willing to learn and stand up for things at the right time. They're willing to come alongside of somebody who's older and and wiser than them and say, I'm just going to not speak for a little bit. I'm not going to share my opinions for a little bit. I'm going to trust that you might know a little bit more about life than than I do, and I'm just going to listen. So it's not to just be a total pushover or to be lazy and just to put your feet up. It's to actually lean in. And in Matthew 5, when Jesus is talking about this idea of meekness or humility, being those are the people who are blessed, he's actually quoting Psalm 37, which I love. This text really speaks to where we're at. And it answers some questions, which are, what can we practically do to humble ourselves right now? We just read, essentially, you can either, either humble yourself or God will humble you, right? Which the answer to that is, let's humble ourselves first instead of waiting for God to humble us, Right? Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. That's really helpful right now. I mean, first, start with committing your way to God, trusting in him, and then then believing, do you know that God is active in the world? He's not passive, and he's not proud. God is active in the world, active in your suffering, active in other people's suffering. He's at work in all of the injustices in the world. Do you know that? I mean, as dark as it is, there are moments of beauty and light in all that's going on around us, right? So the first thing that you can do is hand your situation to God, whatever it is, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're broken about, whatever you're fighting about, whatever is filling your heart and your mind, whatever you can't sleep about, that we start off by handing the situation to God. This idea of committing your way is the idea of rolling or turning over. Like rolling over or turning over, giving this thing to God. And it takes prayer. It takes perspective. It takes time with him. If you're like, if you're trying to fight some battles right now, but you're not spending a few minutes in the morning with Jesus, you don't need to be fighting any battles. I mean, you got to stop and slow down and say, I need to turn my situation over to God before I can ever go out and fight. Or guess whose battle I'm fighting? Mine. Instead of standing up for what God wants me to stand up for. So this is going to take some prayer. And here's what you need to know. You can't conjure up humility on your own. Listen to this. Humility begins with God. It begins with him. His work in your heart. His existence in your heart. Inviting him into this situation. That's where humility begins. So what will happen if you do this? If you humble yourself, I love that the psalmist goes on and he says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That's cool. Essentially, he's saying, it will be clear as day that your causes are true. So when you start off by giving the situation to God, trusting him with the moment and with the problem and with the struggle, then what God will do for you is he will reveal what is true to the people around you in ways that your screaming cannot. And he will do the work that you can't do. And again, there's a time to scream. There's a time to make something a big deal. But, but you can't get through to people sometimes. I mean, there's just a time that the, the Spirit of God has to do his work in his time. And so turn over to God and he will bring forth what is true to the people around you as the light, just like as, as light as day. And have you been there before where somebody just got it and you thought, praise God. And it happened like, I mean, you tried to take credit for it. You're like, remember when I said that? Or remember when I posted that on Facebook? Like, that's what did it. That's what changed their heart. That changed their mind. I know I did the work. You didn't do the work. The Spirit of God did the work, showed them the light, and all praise be to him because he's at work in their, in their life, right? 
Verse 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The second thing you need to do is be quiet and wait. This one's hard. Last thing we want to do in a moment of injustice or a time that we're fighting is be quiet and wait. Once again, the lie that's going to fill you is this feels like passivity. This feels wrong. Is there a time with injustice to be quiet and wait? The answer is yes. There absolutely is. Especially if your heart is not right. If your heart is not humble before God and before others, there is a time to be quiet and wait. Um, There's a movement that started uh, recently, um, just this last Tuesday, called Blackout Tuesday. I don't know if you guys saw that on uh, social media, but it was a time for people to put up a black square on uh, their social media page. And the whole idea, it it wasn't super, super deep. It was just like, hey, let's just be quiet and listen. That's all it is. Let's just be quiet and listen for a little bit. I love that. That's biblical. Being quiet and listening is exactly what we're to do in moments of frustration and turmoil because in those moments of quiet, that's when we can hear the voice of God. In those moments of quiet, that's where we see that God's actually at work in all of this and that we can't control it. It's where we get conviction. I can't get convicted when I'm always screaming about stuff. If I'm just yap, 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 and I can't hear the the voice of God, I get really good at continuing to talk so I don't have to listen to God. But get quiet, listen, and in those moments, God will speak to you. He will teach you. He will show you. He will give you understanding of the moment. Be quiet. And waiting is hard too because especially if you can do something about it. That feels wrong, doesn't it? We just said like if you're called to do something, if God asks asks you to do something, you don't do it, then that's actually sin. But the question is if you can do something, does that mean that you should? The answer is not always yes. There are times to pull back and give space. Let God work. Meekness is someone who has the power to change things and also knows when to wait and has the peace of God to wait. The peace of God to go, I'm going to give space to this moment. Verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. So the third thing is this, don't fret over the wicked. It's not your job. It's just not your job. You don't own them. You don't ultimately control them. God is over them, right? And so when we find ourselves fretting or worrying or being overcome with injustice, we need to get quiet right? We need to slow down. We need to hand our situation over to God and not fret over these things. Once again, you might say, well, isn't that godly to to fret over those things? No, not not really. It's one thing to notice them, to acknowledge them, to do something about them, but to, to simply worry is not a fruit of the Spirit. Worry is not a fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, worry. No, it's not in there. So worrying about it and going, man, I've got to do something. There's a point where you assume the role of God because you are just so overcome with the injustice. There's a point where you forget who you are in this world, that you are created. He's creator. And at some point we have to slow down and trust that he is over these things. And we say, well, how can David say that if things are like really bad? He says this, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 
And imagine he's thinking of like the land of Canaan, right? The promised land. That's what he's thinking. You know this, you can't worry your way into the promised land. When God is ready, he will give it to you. When God is ready to heal what's broken in this world, he will give it to you. When he's ready to to show the world what his kingdom looks like in a moment, he will do it. But you can't grab it. You can't force it. You can't buy it. You can't be loud enough to make it happen. You simply must trust that God is going to ask you to act at certain times and he will do the rest. And there's so much peace in that reality. So what do we get through this meekness? He says, he says in, in verse 5, they will inherit the earth. This is really cool. So if you choose to be humble before God, that you get an inheritance. There's an inheritance of the earth that you get. And I think of it this way, like, um, so we own a home. And what I know is there's a difference between home ownership and actually just visiting a home, Right? There's a difference between owning a home and visiting a home. There are those in this world that are going to see God's kingdom and get little experiences of God's kingdom through you, through the church, through God's work in the world. But that doesn't mean they actually are owners of the kingdom, right? It doesn't mean that they've actually inherited God's kingdom. And we think, well, how can someone inherit the earth? Well, it's when we inherit God's kingdom in eternity. This is something that God promises his people as we choose to be humble and meek that we will get an inheritance. To inherit or be an heir of God's kingdom means that you're a child of the king. That's what it means. If you want to get an inheritance, like when my parents at some point pass away, they will not give their money to you. You're not their children, right? They're going to give it to me. I don't know how much is going to be there, but they're going to give it to me, right? Because I'm one of their children. So to be an heir means you're a child of the king. To be a child of the king means that you've been adopted into the family. To be adopted, it means that you've got to humble yourself and ask for God's grace. So I'd say it this way. Salvation comes only to those who trade in their raving performance for God's relentless grace. It's when you stop going, look how religious I am. Look how much I've done. I love what Paul says. He says, I consider all that I've done as filthy rags before God. And guess what? I've done a lot. He's like, I am so religious. I do all the right things. I live the law to the T. I've got the right pedigree. And yet I would give it all up. And I do for the sake of God's kingdom. I give it all up for his grace because I know that I have earned nothing in his kingdom. So salvation only comes to those who trade in their raving performance, whatever it is that you think that you could use before God on the day of judgment and say, God, look what I've done. Whatever that is that you trade that in And you realize from your knees that you can simply receive God's grace as a free gift. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So trust in the Lord. That's the first thing, right? We just talked about that. And then do good. I love that. So it starts off with trusting in God giving your heart to him, trusting that he is over all the injustices and he's also over the injustices that are in your own heart. He's big enough for whatever you did 30 years ago. He's big enough for whatever you did 30 seconds ago. He's big enough for all of those, those things. So we trust in the Lord and then what do we do? We do good. We go and do the things that God calls us to do. Here's the problem. We all put the do before the be. We all want to go do good before we trust in the Lord. And that's just not how it works, and that's not who's blessed. 
And Jesus wants to make that super clear to us, I believe, today, that if you want to be blessed, we will put the be before the do. At some point, we just need to, need to come back and trust God for who he is, to get humble before God, and the do will come after that. And when you humble yourself before God, you will start doing the right things, fighting for the right things the right way, right? Knowing when, the, when you're falling into self-righteousness and wandering down a path of religion instead of out of love for God and love for your brother. Like only if we know who we are, only if we start with the be, simply children, heirs of God's kingdom, will we know how and when to fight for things. As a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people about change. Oftentimes, people will set up a meeting with me or with one of our other leaders and say, I want to change my life. And we'll sit down in my office, and it takes me about five minutes to figure out if I'm wasting my time. And here's what it always comes down to. It always comes down to if they're ready to humble themselves. That's, that's all. If it's like, I'm going to get better, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to get in this program, I'm going to go after that, I'm going to be better to my husband, better to my wife, I'm going to be a better, better student, I'm going to figure this out. If that's all it is, I'm like, well, this isn't going to go far. Because our motivation isn't enough to change us. It's only by the Spirit of God can we be changed. And so the first thing we have to focus on is the B, that we are simply recipients of God's grace. And when we receive that and realize that, you know what we are? We're humbled. We're humbled. We're lowered to the ground to go, how in the world could God love a sinner like me? And that's the place to begin to move forward and to do the things that God is calling you to do. If you want to change your life, if you're here today and you're like, I want to change my life, here's what you should do. Like the man in Jesus' story, stand at a distance, beat your chest, and pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the place to begin. If you want to change your life, God, give me mercy. Give me your grace. Humble me now. Put your resume aside and just trust in his grace. I uh, saw a clip I want to show you real quick as we close this week of a moment that just struck me as a moment of humility uh, right in the middle of this cultural moment. Take a look at this. If there was ever a moment in human history that we needed to be humbled, I would say it'd be right now. Would you agree? It's a beautiful time right now to be humbled. And I love that moment because what I see is a lot of people with a lot of different opinions pushing brooms. And there is just something that happens in your heart when you put down your resume and you pick up a broom, right? There is clarity that happens 
in people's hearts when they put down their good list of all the things that they've done in this world and all the things that they're fighting for and all their, their righteousness. And they realize, I'm, I'm just a servant. I'm just here to clean up. I'm here to do my part, whatever that may be, big or small. If I'm carrying trash bags for God's kingdom, that, that's what I'll do. And so what does that look like for you right now, today? To put down your resume and to pick up a broom. What does it look like in our country for us to do this? Just culturally right now, right? Like people would say that America's blessed, wouldn't they say that? I mean, they would say we're a blessed country. And I, I would agree to some degree, right? But not in the way that people think, right? We're not blessed because of our buildings, We're not blessed because of our economy, our government, our interstates, our infrastructure, our abundance of food, our opportunities, our talent, our creativity, our achievements, our influence in the world. I believe that we're blessed because of people like that. That's why we're blessed. And people like you who are willing to put down your resume and pick up a broom and become a servant. You know what happens when you do that? People meet Jesus. Because that's exactly what he did for us. Stepped out of eternity, humbled himself, became a servant to humanity, died for us, served us. So I just wonder um, if there's anybody here watching online or or here here today that wants to, in their own hearts, just confess that there's been some pride, that you've been maybe fighting for the right things for the wrong reasons, that maybe you haven't trusted God with the things that you're all churned up about and you just need to stop and say, God, I'm going to give this broken thing to you and trust that you can change things that I cannot. Or maybe in your own heart, you know that you still bring a resume to God every night. You're like, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, will you accept me? You bring a resume to God every time you blow it and you say, I did this, I did this, I did this, will you accept me? And God with open arms is saying, put down your resume. You know, come into the family. Pick up a broom, be a servant to the world. And maybe for you tonight, you just need to accept his love, his free gift of grace. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Can we just bow our heads and pray? Jesus, thank you so much that you love us right where we are and that you desire to use us to change the world. So God, right now we invite you into our hearts that you would change us. God, that you would show us where we have chosen religion over relationship. God, you would show us where we've tried to prove something to you or prove something to others. Instead of simply trusting God, you are our resume. Jesus is our resume. And that's the only resume any of us ever need. So we want to put our faith in Jesus and and not in ourselves right now. God, we want to have a God-centered confidence today. So God, we give all the brokenness of the world, God, to the heated conversations that are happening, God, especially in the conversation um, of race right now. And trust, Father, that you're at work in those conversations as we humble ourselves. So God, we as your church ask that you forgive us for times that we have shown bias in a way that doesn't look like your kingdom. God, would you teach us to love? Would you teach us what that looks like in day-to-day moments, not just on Facebook or social media, God, but would you show us what it looks like with human beings simply love the way that you loved us and made us heirs of your kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week. Thank you.